Hi, we are the ADHD Skills Lab podcast. My name is Sky, And my name is Sarah. And we will be your hosts, chatting to you about practical ADHD strategies you can use, the research behind some of these strategies, as well as interviewing other professionals with ADHD about how they've developed skills and working through struggles in their lives. You might know us from Unconventional Organization, where we talk about this kind of stuff all day long. So we're super excited to have you along and we're gonna chat through it together. Okay, so Chelsea, um, who we're chatting with today, I'm really excited to be chatting with her. She's actually a previous client of mine. She was diagnosed with ADHD in 2022, and we worked together pretty much exactly after that time with some strategies in ADHD and unconventional organization. I got to know Chelsea, and then when she stopped being a client, I really wanted to reach out to you and just talk to you because Chelsea is an off-road cyclist. She specializes in gravel and mountain bike racing. She started her athletic career as a long-distance runner, and she ran track and cross-country in college, as well as double majoring in Spanish and sociology, getting a double master's in public affairs and environmental science. So very busy. (laughs) And when she's not riding, her favorite activities include volunteering at her local animal shelter, which I know because you adopted a dog for a while, which was really cute and also very interesting in terms of ADHD and ADHD strategies. So it's so wonderful to have you on the podcast, Chelsea. Thank you so much for coming on and being willing to share your story because I know that's not something that you've done too much, especially the ADHD side in a public platform. So thank you so much for agreeing to chat to us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So let's start just by letting me know, where are you based? Yes, I am currently based in the western part of the United States in a state called Utah. And I've been here since 2020. Awesome. Yeah. And obviously that's kind of an interesting question because one of the things we often talk about is how much traveling you end up doing for racing. Yes, definitely. Yeah. (laughs) Part of the the move to the Western part of the country is that most of my racing happens out in the Western states. So it's been great to be based out there, which is really nice. Yeah, no, definitely. And I mentioned specifically that you are a professional full-time gravel and mountain bike racer. So can you tell me a little bit about what it is that you do? What is a professional racer? What does that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. So my my usual routine definitely consists of training, and that includes both getting out on the bike and doing my long training efforts and getting those hours of riding my bike in. But mm-hmm. also because of this off-road cycling that I do, mm-hmm. I do a lot of skill work. So getting used to riding over different kind of rocky terrains, we call them rock gardens, where you kind of have to look at a trail and pick a line that you think you can go down best or go up best, depending on if it's uphill or downhill. And really working on body positioning and the different techniques involved with body position on the bike when you're doing certain maneuvers, such as you know going over a drop or going down the rock garden or cornering, mm-hmm. taking all of those kind of pieces of the cycling puzzle into play. And as someone who does not have great body awareness, same, <laughs> yep. <laughs> This skill work is imperative for me because mm-hmm. I find it's 
super tough. And with being overwhelmed very easily, I often have to break down sections in order to be able to complete them. Because if I look at initially looking at a section of a trail that I'm supposed to do a race on, for example, I initially look at it and think, oh my goodness, there's no way I can ride this. Mm -hmm. But, you know, breaking it down, starting at the top and kind of over. So it's very technical. I noticed that I did some research into gravel racing specifically for this podcast. So yeah, that did come across. Yes. And coming from a running background where running is pretty straightforward, the hardest running I did was on trails where you just have to make sure you don't roll an ankle and watch the train. Mm -hmm. The learning how to make sure that I'm having all of the things necessary to not fall. So body position and looking far enough ahead at the trail to hit my line, make sure I can get over a rock or something has definitely required that hyper-focus because I've learned with all of my mountain bike crashing, I crash when I have been thinking about something else or my mind has drifted mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I'll hit a rock wrong and be on the ground. Yeah, that's a real difference between, yeah, whether you're in, you're in or you're out because it's a huge difference for you in terms of what you're actually doing. It's quite an immediate response in that way. So you were diagnosed pretty recently. So tell me a little bit about what that means for you because you will have had a huge period of time and a lot of people who are late diagnosed have this where you had to look back through your experiences and go, oh, that was me maybe experiencing ADHD and I didn't realize it. So what was your diagnosis story? What caused you to get that diagnosis? Well, for most of my life, I've always had that, like, gosh, there's something wrong with me. Like, I don't seem to be normal. I have always been super unorganized. I live in a constant state of clutter. (laughs) I lose everything multiple times. And I have that constant worrying about things. Always felt like I was thinking about a million things at the same time and couldn't Mm -hmm. figure out, like, how do I stop all this chatter in my head? It kind of came to a head last summer when I was, last summer was really the first summer that I thought that professional cycling could be a viable career path for me. Interesting. Why was that? I had done pretty well the previous summer. So 2021 went pretty well in terms of race results and kind of gaining some. And then 2022 was kind of like my year of, okay, I'm going to do even more races, bigger races and see where I stack up. And you stacked up pretty well. I was looking through your, oh. um, you won at least one of them. I that was all over the papers and all over the websites. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yeah. And that's the one that jump started my career. And that was in, in August, which was great. Mm-hmm. And so it was like early on in the summer, I hadn't quite figured out that I was going to make the transition to gravel racing. I was still trying to go for these shorter cross-country mountain bike races. And I just found that that was not my strong suit, both in terms of the technical ability and there'd be many times I'd be on training rides with my partner and I would almost have these panic attacks because I would get so mad at myself for messing up a line or not being able to clear a rock garden. And I would just myself up and it's like, gosh, this is not normal. Like I'm yelling and cursing at myself. And he'd be like, it's yeah. okay. 
try again. And like, I would try again, but I would just that rage that I'd get at myself for messing up and not being perfect. Really prevented, installed my growth in mountain biking. And it was kind of just that feeling of like lost, hopeless, like, is this a right career path? Like I really yeah. wanted to not having that success initially. Um, like I thought I would. And so I ended up going to see a therapist for depression and anxiety because mountain bike biking can be a very scary sport. And so I thought maybe it's anxiety that's really holding me back. And so if I could figure out how to be less anxious, because I would start my rides, even if I was doing a trail I'd done a million times before, I would just mm-hmm. like, knuckled and just be so nervous on the bike after riding a little bit, I could like be like, okay, like I got this, like I'm okay. But it was just so anxiety inducing, just getting out the door sometimes. Yeah. And that's rough when that's, you know, the thing that you need to do literally again and again and again as part of your job. Definitely. Yes. And it's like, I, you know, you're logically trying to tell yourself it's going to get better. You're okay. Like you're, you're going to be okay. But that's that part of you that's like, ah, (laughs) so yeah, ended up yeah, going into therapy, hoping to get some help with the depressive thoughts and the anxiety. And after a few sessions with my therapist, she kind of diagnosed me with major depressive disorder based on some questionnaires that I filled out. Mm-hmm. And that referred me to a psychiatrist who ended up being absolutely amazing. I'm, I'm still working with this psychiatrist. I think I got really lucky that my first psychiatrist was amazing. And after a couple sessions with her and like getting on some antidepressants, and I wasn't really seeing much results from that. She started asking me more questions about my life, you know, getting to know me after a few sessions. And she kind of even said, she's like, you know, I even just the way that you talk and like your the way that you move and stuff. She's like, you know, based on everything you've told me and how I see you and like your demeanor and everything, I think you might have ADHD. How did you feel hearing that? Were you surprised? I was a little surprised because I didn't know much about ADHD. During my like depressive states, I had been trying to look up basically how to help myself with depression. And mm-hmm. so in down my research rabbit holes, which I over-research everything. It's a common trait. <laughs> it is. Yeah. 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 Which is fun to learn that that's, yeah. It's our first known hyper-focus is what is ADHD? <laughs> Yeah, so I knew everything about it. Yeah. So when learning everything I could about depression, I came up across so many articles about overlap with ADHD and anxiety and all of these like confounding mm-hmm. diagnoses. And so in speaking with her, I, I took some of the diagnostic exams. And once I then focused that research dive into ADHD, I couldn't believe how many of the symptoms and the descriptions fit me to a T. And it was kind of that weight off my shoulder of like, oh my goodness, I think this has been my my issue all along. And it was so, so relieving. And then it was also in that like first week of like, you know, being diagnosed, learning about it, researching that I discovered the Hacking Your ADHD podcast. Oh yeah, well, yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> such a good podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you were a guest on there and I loved listening to you. So then I signed up to get personalized coaching. And so that two-pronged approach with your help and then continuing with my therapist and kind of going over the emotional side of things mm-hmm. because my emotional regulation was not very great has been monumental in helping me. And I honestly don't think that I would be where I am without 
your help and all of the things I learned with my personalized coaching with you and with therapy. So I'm eternally grateful for that. Well, thank Yeah, no worries at all. It was really great to work with you and really great to see the growth from where, where we started. And we'll talk a bit more about the ADHD side in a minute, but just in terms of like, I remember when you first came in, it was, I think I want to do this. I might want to do this. And by the end, you're like, I'm doing this. Like I have sponsors, like this is what I'm doing. Like, and it was really cool to see that confidence in yourself, you know, and, and maybe that's one of the benefits and you'll be able to speak to this in your experiences of being able to say, this is what I have. This is how it affects me. This is what it means for my life. So this is what I want to do with my life and bring all those pieces together. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit about the gravel racing. So tell me, what was that position like for you? Because obviously we were working together, but from your perspective, what was that shift for you from going like, do I want to do gravel racing? Like, is this my thing to being somebody who's now, you know, I'm a gravel race and that's what I'm doing. What happened to make that shift for you? I think what really made that shift was I won a pretty large gravel race in 2022, August, 2022. Yeah. And so having that win, not only built up my self-confidence and made me think, okay, like maybe I can do this, but it also put me on a level with other athletes who were already doing this professionally mm-hmm. and then opened the door for sponsorship opportunities. It was actually at that race where my current bike sponsor sponsored the race. And immediately upon me finishing, they like grabbed me over for an interview, which was my first interview ever about racing. So I'm, I'm talking about the race I had just finished. And then immediately they're talking to me about wanting to sponsor me if I if I want gravel racing. And mm-hmm. so having that positive encouragement, feedback, and knowing that I could have support if I wanted it was, mm-hmm. it sounds silly, but it, it was life-changing at the moment for me. No, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I think a lot of times I can point in my own life, and I'm sure listeners have as well, you know, that feeling of like somebody just taps you and says, Hey, you could do this. And here's some support and some encouragement. It's such a huge thing. It is. Yeah. It was like, we believe in you. We think you can do this. We think you can be a dark horse. You can be great. And that excitement just, yeah, I I feed off other people's energy and their feelings. And so when they were so excited for me, it was like, oh, I'm really excited too. This is great. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And then from there, how did you transition from being a general racer to doing it professionally? You had that one sponsorship. So did they offer you a sponsorship in that moment or... Yes, we started, I guess it wasn't like official in that moment, but after the race ended up connecting with a bunch of the individuals who worked for the bike company and we, you know, kind of emailed back and forth and they kind of gave me their terms of agreement and in the contract and they were also super great at connecting me and putting in a good word for me for other sponsors for like my helmet and my clothing. Yeah. So it was super great because it was like, well, we, yeah, we can offer you a bike and we can offer you all these bonuses and like this monetary structure, but we don't have clothing. So like, here's this clothing person I'll connect you with and like, oh, and here's a home company. And so it was super great because it really did like that one opportunity opened the door to then like 10 other opportunities. And that it made choosing gravel a lot 
easier because it was like, wow, I have all this support. So I may as well, I've only done one gravel race. I may as Mm -hmm. well buy gravel racing for 2023 and see how it goes. Yeah, no, that is so interesting because, you know, the idea of how do sponsorships work, this is something we talked about at the beginning of your sessions when we were still figuring it out. And to hear that it's often that, you know, sponsors are not necessarily like just interested in exclusive. They might even help you find more sponsors because they want you to succeed at the end of the day. And, and they know what that means. That's really interesting to hear. Yes. Yeah. You put it perfectly. And that was something that was really cool to to learn about the industry. And yeah, like you and I had talked about, I was so clueless when this all first started Mm -hmm. happening. It was overwhelming. And then it was neat to kind of see the cascade effect of, well, yeah, like this helmet company is great. And like, they'll help you. And like, if you get connected with this clothing company, they also have a deal with these tires and this tire Mm -hmm. company is great. So like, that would be a good fit. And then like, everybody's on the same page of like, we want to help this athlete be as successful as she can be. Mm -hmm. And that's a really good feeling. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. That's awesome. So in terms of the ADHD of it all, you know, we talked a little bit about where you were, you, you were diagnosed, you were just learning. Were there any ADHD strategies that you had to develop or maybe strengths that you really realized you were using as part of this move into gravel racing? What, and we'll break this down because it's a big question, but what were some of those, some of those strategies? Some of the the strategies that were super helpful were mostly all the strategies that you and I discussed in our Mm -hmm. coaching sessions. Mm -hmm. Definitely like establishing a routine. I had never utilized my calendar before I worked with you. And so Mm -hmm. setting up calendar appointments and reminders and Mm -hmm. even little things of like eat breakfast at this time Mm -hmm. and like respond to emails at this time and Mm -hmm. your social media posts, you know, on this day and then reply Mm -hmm. to social media posts on this day. Yeah. We talked about social media a lot in those first few weeks. I remember. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which was great because at first I think part of the reason we were talking about it was I wasn't utilizing my social media because it was so overwhelming and I didn't know what to do. And and I would get so anxious about sharing anything and so worried Mm -hmm. that I'd get negative feedback or I wouldn't get likes on my posts. And so the analysis paralysis kicked in and I was like, well, I'm just not going to post. And as I'm learning as a professional athlete, social media is integral to the job. And so it is something that you have to learn how to get comfortable with and find a way for it to work for you. You were instrumental in helping me with that. Definitely. And you talked a little bit about your routine as well. I just want to touch on the fact that for you, your routine also shifts a lot. So, you know, you might be away training. So how do you manage that? Because your daily life can look very different depending on whether you're in a racing space or a non-racing space. What were the kind of systems you had in place to help with that? Did it just end up all going on the calendar? Yeah. The calendar in terms of organizing daily routines for when Mm -hmm. I'm and like normal daily training races. And then probably even more important, having all those calendar additions for when I am traveling to a race. And Sky was great about helping me organize, even just putting in like, okay, I check into my hotel on this day. You know, I need to leave at this time to take into account travel time for the 
to arrive at the hotel. And then there's practice on the course, you know, at this time and kind of putting those blocks onto my calendar. It not only was helpful in terms of making sure I was where I needed to be at the right time, but also I used to carry all that in my head and not have it written down anywhere. And it was so stressful trying to remember and trying to just like make sure that I had everything memorized before I left on a trip so that I didn't mess up. And it was so nice to kind of have that peace of mind of like, okay, it's on the calendar. (laughs) Well, our working memory, as you said, like at the beginning, losing things, forgetting things, it's not the best. So having some way to externalize time is so helpful for ADHD, but then also for you, because your mental space is such a big part of your racing. Like you said, you have to do so many other things. You have to think about the track and what it's going to be like and who you're going to encounter and what that's going to be like and the weather. And there's all these other things to think about. Yes, exactly. Anytime we can offload that so it's not in our brain and it's somewhere that we'll be able to follow through is super helpful. Yeah, definitely. hundred percent. Was there anything else that was a helpful one in terms of the strategies? Yes. Another great one. And it applies more to when I'm training at home, but because I am a more visual person, we got a DAC board. Yes. I remember that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's still, I still, I look at it multiple times a day. It's this Mm -hmm. large screen in my kitchen. It's where I frequent the most. Mm -hmm. And has my entire day so I can see every single appointment or commitment on my day. It also has the weather at the top, which is nice Mm -hmm. because I can see like, okay, well, I'm supposed to train at 9am, but it's storming. Like I'll, I'll need to shift my day around. And that also includes my partner's commitments too in a different color. So I can also know like if I need help with bike stuff or I need, you know, help with anything, I know when he's in the meeting or when he's unavailable or or when he is available where I can talk to him or troubleshoot ideas. And so that's been nice, not only for me, but for him too. And I think it helps us navigate our days a lot better. Yeah, definitely. And for those people who don't know, what is a DAC board? A DAC board is this large computer screen that syncs with your email calendar and it displays like a large version of that on the large screen. And you can change the settings so you can include your personal calendar. If you live with a partner, you can include your partners. You could also include your children if they have a calendar. And it's basically an electronic whiteboard where anything you put on your computer, you can display on that large Mm -hmm. monitor to make it a very visual space. Yeah, I have to admit, it was very, very cool. I think you were one of the first clients I have who got one. So I looked it up and I was like, hmm, do they ship to New Zealand? I don't think so. (laughs) Not quite yet. (laughs) But yeah, very, very cool. If you like what you're listening to, then please subscribe. It really helps other people find out more about the ADHD Skills Lab podcast. And speaking of your partner, you know, one of the things I remember we talked about a little bit with the ADHD side is that team and that accountability. We started talking about who's on your team, who's a part of your group of people who are supporting you, especially at the beginning, because you don't, you know, just bike alone. You have a trainer, you have lots of supports. How has that accountability support been helpful to you? It's been immensely helpful. And I think part of what helped me with 
not knowing I had ADHD later in life is now that I have a partner and I have like a trainer and I have, you know, the ability to work with a therapist and I had you as a skills coach. I had these other individuals who were helping me with life problems. And Mm -hmm. when I was younger and like going through, especially those college years where I'm on my own and just totally overwhelmed and completely Mm -hmm. lost and didn't have an accountability partner in any sense. Mm -hmm. It was super nice to like have someone who like my partner is very neurotypical and very good at all of the things that I'm very bad at. And that has been such a saving grace for me because there would be so many times where I would miss like paying my bills or remembering rent or any of those executive functioning tasks that I really struggle with that he's just on. And the same thing with my coach is so great about like all of my workouts. And I think he has come to realize that because of my perfectionist tendencies, if I don't do workout exactly as prescribed, I would get really mad at myself and defeated. And so he's kind of changed how he structures my workouts and gives me workouts so that I have a couple options where, okay, if you're not feeling well, like do this or increasing like the power, these power in cycling. And so increasing those power zones so that I have a greater bandwidth for air. And so, yes, being able to have each like accountability in those different parts of my life has been really, really good. Yeah, no, definitely. That's awesome. And it's interesting that you should talk about that because it sounds like, yeah, what your coach is doing is introducing that structured flexibility that we talk about, that idea of we have a plan, we're just kind of adding flexibility. You know, we're going to do a workout, but which one are we going to do today? That's really interesting to see that coming through in that training as well. Yes. Yeah. It's fun. I think, um, and like also for like our ADHD brains, I think it's fun when we see change and like, Oh yeah. (laughs) You do not want to do the same thing week in, week out for sure. Yeah. Do you have much difference then in your training? Do you have kind of that newness to kind of keep things fresh? Yes. Yeah. My coach is really good about, we have have a a few key workouts that I'll do. Um, they're kind of staples, but then he, depending on the different races I'm doing. So I'm in this uh, Lifetime Grand Prix series for this year. Yeah. It's five gravel races and two mountain bike races. Mm-hmm. And the way the races are, they vary both in like terrain and distance. Mm-hmm. And that makes it nice because then each race is like, it's like one a month for this series. And so mm-hmm. each month is kind of tailored to the next race. Mm -hmm. And so the training is a bit different for the month leading up to the race. For example, the race I have this coming Saturday is the longest race. It's 200 miles. And so the previous training block or the month leading up to this June 3rd race included a lot more volume and less intensity because I need the volume to like sustain myself over the distance. And yeah. so that, yeah, that is really nice. I, I do appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and good luck. Cause I, I need to say this now cause I might forget, but good luck <laughs> to your race on Saturday, working <laughs> memory. <laughs> like, but yeah, that's, that's crazy during the longest one so far. That's pretty interesting. How are you feeling? Are you nervous about it? I am very, very nervous. Yes. I'm actually <laughs> 
this race, it's also the most like self-sufficient I'll have to be because there's two aid stations over the entire race. And so I'm learning, like I was just practicing how to plug a tire and like all these mechanical things that could possibly pop up. So yeah. it's been fun, but also very difficult to learn these new yeah. skills, like trying to remember, okay, what are the steps? Like if you get a flat tire, you have to like try to plug it and then mm-hmm. like grab your plug, plug it with your tire plug, grab the CO2, open it up put it on. As you know, like our, our memories for this, I like, I've had to do it so many times, just try to mm-hmm. streamline the process, not yeah. only make it remember how to do it, but as it's during a race, I have to do it quickly. Definitely. Yeah. Just as a note, because this is, we haven't talked about this topic, um, but do you have like a flashcard or something? I don't know if you'd even be able to have it on you, but is there something that you have where, you know, you, you know it, but if you forgot in the moment, if you just had that like mind blank where you could just pull out a card that has like the steps on it, do you have anything like that? No, but now that you mentioned that, that's a great idea. And I could definitely utilize it. I would definitely recommend it. Like just, and then just hope you don't need to use it, but like even just a little laminated thing in your pack of like stuff. So you can just look at it and just kind of send to yourself if you need to might be helpful because whew, that would be a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. And I have it's such a great idea because I have found that when I'm under pressure, that's how I get lost on like my home trails. Like if I do a race in my trails, I'll sometimes get lost and be like, I don't even know where I am. And I'm so flustered and, and I'm in that frantic mm-hmm state that like all logic goes out the window. Yeah. And I mean, that's part of ADHD as well, right? We have that emotional dysregulation. We have that, you know, rejection sensitivity, all these things that can come in and really just flood us in the moment. So, you know, I know we talked a little bit about the grounding routine and things like that. And we talked about a pre and post show grounding routine, but it's almost like, especially with these longer races, there's almost like a tiny little in the moment grounding routine where you just need to, you know, figure out what that looks like. Do you just like breathe, read the things, go, I have a minute and then just do it, you know, something like that, depending on what works for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that grounding routine has been super helpful. Even found it's helped when I I have this tendency when I make mistake, I sometimes will like yell at myself like out loud. And it's helpful to just, yeah, take that deep breath. I often try to like think about dogs or things that make me super yeah. happy to like bring my emotional down. Definitely. And it does sound like having something like that for the race is going to be helpful as well. But yeah. And for those of you who want to know about the granny routine, I'll, I'll put the article in the show notes where we kind of go through it in more detail. So if we were to flip over to the strength side of it, because I don't want to forget those because those are a big part of it too. Did you find once you learned about your ADHD that you realized a little bit like, oh, this is a strength. This might be why I'm going for this gravel racing job, essentially. Yes. Yeah. Quite a few. I think the first one is that the novelty it's since gravel racing is is new to me. So I did my, it's a little hard to explain, but I did my first gravel race in 2021, but I did it on a mountain bike. And Mm -hmm. then that big gravel race I won in August of 2022, I also did it on a mountain bike. And so I actually only did my first gravel race on a gravel specific bike in April of 2023, 
when I got sponsored by the gravel bike company. So there's quite a bit of difference between a mountain bike and a gravel bike. Mm-hmm. The way that geometry is set up, gravel bikes have much thinner wheels. They have the curly handlebars. You're like on what's called the hoods when you're on top and then in the drops when you're on the curly part of the bars. And so it's it's more like a road bike than a mountain bike. And so your arms are more in a narrow position and therefore learning how to get in that arrow body position is instrumental in trying to win one of these races. And coming from a mountain bike only background, all of that was so new to me. And I think when, when learning how to do something or trying something new, it can be super exciting for a lot of us. Yeah. (laughs) And so learning this, you know, it's still a form of cycling. That's a brand new form of cycling for me was a really like exciting part. And I think like having my brain be situated in a way that I just love new things. Like I'm always seeking all the new experiences and, you know, new trails, new routes, new everything. That was a huge strength for me. I think the other one is that hyper-focus ability, both in just whether it's hyper-focusing on getting like through a rock garden or a turn, you know, better to the best of my ability to like fixating on my intervals. So if I'm supposed to do six by a minute fast, making sure that my like fast minutes are as good as they can be. And I'm really consistent with that. And after I got diagnosed with ADHD, my partner was saying that he thinks that that's my biggest strength because he'll be prescribed similar workouts or he'll try to do the same workout that I do. And if he misses mark he gets defeated and just will sometimes just work out yeah whereas I'm like I'm gonna get it like and I'll keep doing (laughs) that's interesting so it's almost like three things going on there there's like there's the hyper focus there is the interest in learning learning new things learning new skills and it sounds like gravel racing is a particularly good space for that because there's lots of new things to learn and then there's also a bit of resilience, you know, something that there is some research to indicate might be linked with ADHD experiences because we do have to try things and do things differently so often that's coming through as well. Yeah. And I think it's, it goes hand in hand with wanting to be perfect. I always want to get the best out of myself. And so mm-hmm. if I know I've hit this power number for this 10 minute interval once before, that's the new standard. And I want to hit that or <laughs> next time. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's just the balance being kind to yourself versus pushing yourself, <laughs> which I can imagine is hard for a racer. <laughs> yes. Yes. Definitely. Awesome. So we kind of touched on this a little bit, but I wanted to just dive into it specifically. What is your sort of average weekly routine? Is there anything you need to do every week to keep focused, you know, your priorities, if you will? Yes, definitely. I always start like my weeks by looking at my calendar. I've done a pretty good job of syncing all of my like training and any appointments, they usually get into my calendar right away. And mm-hmm. so then they go onto that deck board where it's a big week visual for me. I look at yeah the different workouts that I have to do, the different commitments, whether it's like sponsor obligations or having to post about a certain thing on social media for like a new product launch or something. And then something that is, I think, more ADHD specific routine 
is when I'm doing certain trail or skills work, I have to kind of mentally prepare myself for that ahead of time and let myself know that, okay, I'm doing this. I'm on this trail that's going to be really tricky or or really difficult for me. And Mm -hmm. so I have to, what my partner calls a single task. And so it's a single task on a single track. And I find that if I'm letting my thoughts wander or I'm thinking about like the next thing on my to-do list, I'll not ride as smoothly or, or as efficiently as I should. And so it's kind of helping me get into that hyper focus of like, okay, I'm doing this trail and I'm only thinking about this trail for the next however long I'm out there for. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to worry about anything else. Like I'm totally present mm-hmm. for this. And it's like those, I think that's when I, I really learned that I can't always do group rides or ride with a partner because if someone's trying to talk to me or my focus is on someone else, it doesn't turn out well. So yeah, yeah, I think it's that's been something that has been eye-opening since being diagnosed. It's like, okay, well, you found you're finding what works for you. You found a system mm-hmm. and a process. And so just you know, knowing, okay, like on Tuesday, you're doing this trail work. So you're not gonna ride with anybody. You're on your own and you're gonna focus and it's gonna be good. Yeah, definitely. So it's figuring out, like you said where there's too much distraction, where there's not enough building in those routines and that flexibility. No, very, very cool. And having the accountability around you as well, like having the trainer, because you see your trainer every day or a couple of times a week at this point. So actually, I I don't see him in person at all. Okay. Everything is just on the calendar, but Mm -hmm. I tend to ride with my partner most days, except on those days where I, I can't have any distraction. You need to do it. Yeah, no, definitely. And it, it's nice now that he knows that, okay, like, <laughs> he's focused, so it's okay. She can ride on her own. Yeah, it's got a reason. No, definitely. So I'm interested to know, we've talked a lot about gravel racing. We've talked in a lot about detail about being a racer, partially because I think this is such an interesting space. It's something that a lot of people don't know about. Like we ourselves initially talking about it, there was a sense of like, what is this? What does this look like? How do you do this? If somebody else with ADHD was thinking about taking on a big physical project, you know, gravel racing, mountain biking, track running, but they were worried about sustaining momentum, developing the skill, what advice would you have for them? My biggest advice is to try to figure out why you're doing something in the first place. And hopefully it comes from you're really interested in it. You really love it. You have some sort of passion for it because I found that I'm most successful at the things that I'm really interested in and that I find meaningful. And so I think that's kind of the first step. I I have so many, so many friends who've tried mountain biking and they just don't like it. They want to like it, but they just don't. And it's like, it's okay. There are (laughs) sports. Like you don't have to like mountain biking. You can, there's so many other great ways to be outside. Mm -hmm. And I think, especially as, as we get started on something, it's so helpful to like see that progress and that seeing yourself grow, whether it's you couldn't do a rock feature on a trail one day, but then you know the next day you get out and you clear it. That feeling of accomplishment is so wonderful. And it kind of is mm-hmm. what hooks you and gets you to be like, okay, well, I can do that rock on this trail. So now I can try, you know, going over this rock on that trail. Mm-hmm. And that keeps it exciting and fun. And 
then that helps you progress too, because now you're practicing more. And I also think that anytime you can combine certain interests, so like for me, I love dogs and it's <laughs> for me because whenever I get outside to ride, I always see dogs. And so I used to be so focused on my training that I would, I would see a cute dog and be like, oh, I just want to stop and pet, but I can't, I'm training. And now if I see a cute dog, I did set the boundary where after I've done my, like my intervals or my, or my work, usually I'm on the way back from my ride when I'm coming home. That's when I'll have a dog, yeah. but really see a cute one at some other time. I will stop. Um, <laughs> if it's cute enough, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. cute, unique so a dog that I haven't seen before. I, you might catch me stopping, but I try to have a little boundary with my training. Mm-hmm. And so that keeps it really fun too, because then it's like, anytime I go for a ride, I'm like, I wonder what kind of dog I'm going to see today. And that's been <laughs> yeah. really fun. Or it's always fun doing activities, especially as you're new with somebody else. And even better if that person's like a little bit better than you at that activity, because then mm-hmm. they can kind of give you tips and advice and kind of, you know, show you the ropes on something. And especially with these physical endeavors, it can be a daunting task to start. And so having somebody to help show you the way is nice. Yeah. And then just like, Having like, I I often will like either meet up with a friend afterwards for like coffee or I'll stop at a local bakery after my ride and get myself Mm -hmm. a pastry and that helps. Yeah, that's so interesting. So you really, you know, when you're talking about it, my ADHD coaching brain goes like, oh, that's so interesting. You're adding a lot of dopamine to your right. Like you're adding that additional. My dopamine. Yeah. You're literally, your dopamine is petting dogs, getting, you know, a pastry yes. <laughs> and it works, it works for you. And that's really awesome. Especially because like, there is that level of why should I go out today? Well, because I might pet a dog that I didn't know was there when I started this day. So there's kind of that, that level of like excitement. And you're, even though, like you said, it's so important to love this and to do it and to find it really interesting. There is still that level of like, and if you can find a dog (laughs) that you like to pet, then it's good as well. I think that's what's been so fun lately. I've actually started doing a dog of the day on my Instagram and I've gotten a lot of good feedback from people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that helps me, like you said, it helps me get out the door. And it, during those times, like if I'm doing a hard interval, I'm like, okay, well, finish this interval and then you can go find a dog. And it's <laughs> really fun. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm I'm actually amazed there's that many dogs. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it is. I'm lucky. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, definitely. No, that's so great. And then I also wanted to just touch on like, you mentioned at the beginning that there was a hard time where you were doing mountain biking and you thought maybe that's what you were going to do. And there was the sense of like, where am I now? I'm not hitting the goals that I was planning on doing. What do I do? What about that moment? Because I think there's often a fear of that moment because that moment happens a lot. You know, when somebody's trying to go for a big project and reach a big goal, do you have any advice for sort of ADHD people listening to this who are saying, but what about that? What do I do in that moment? You know, how do I keep going? What would you say? I mean, you obviously don't have to have all the answers, but you know, what advice would you give? Looking back, I think my biggest advice would be that we can often get, and maybe it's a part of hyper-focus, often fixated on like, okay, there's one path to do one thing. And I'm like straying from this path. I'm never going to get to where I want my end goal. 
where I want to be. And it's really difficult, or I find it really difficult when I'm in those anxiety, like overwhelmed moments to kind of take a step back and look at the big picture. But often when you do, you can see, oh, wait, well, maybe if I just pivot a little bit and try, try this. So like with mountain biking, yes, gravel racing is different. You know, it can be different, but I was able to find a gravel race that I could do on a mountain bike to get a taste for gravel racing without fully committing by like buying a new bike and mm-hmm. trying thing and maybe mm-hmm. not liking it. And so finding a way of like, okay, well, maybe I can do, I can like step off my path a little bit and do something slightly different but it will still get me to like my overall goal of being like, for me, my goal has always been to be a professional athlete. And so I have many different sports I love and I've kind of just spent my twenties and thirties figuring out like, well, what can I be a professional in? And as I tried so many different things and formats and gravel racing seems to be like the best so far. And so it's giving yourself that grace that, okay, like I'm, I'm doing good. I'm going to keep trying, but I'm also going to try something new and just see what happens. And often that can make a big difference. That's so interesting. Yeah, you're totally right. So there's like this fit, you know, it's like you're going in this direction and you're still going in that direction, the professional athlete direction. But it's like, do we need to adjust the fit to, you know, what your skills are and what you're interested in and what you're succeeding in? And so there's again, there's that you're moving in a direction, but there's flexibility around what you call it or what it is exactly when you get there. Yeah. I love how you put that. And it reminds me of like mountain biking. If you were to watch like cross-country style mountain bike racing, they have the courses have an A line, a B line and a C line. And all these lines, you know, spit you out to like the rest of the race, but Mm -hmm. the A line is the most direct, also the scariest and hardest. And then B is a little like meanders a little bit, a little less difficult. And the C is the least difficult, but the longest. And so every time you do a lap on that course, you have the option of taking one of those three and kind of like that with a lot of our life goals. Like, yeah, some people might to start with the A line, but some people have to take the C line and then work their way up. And so that kind of helps me too with that life analogy. I love that. That's amazing. I think that's awesome. Great. Yeah. So I just have a few sort of quick questions before we go, questions I ask everybody. Tell us about the one professional achievement that you are the most proud of. I'm definitely the most proud of being able to call myself a professional bike racer or cyclist. Achieving that childhood dream is just super rewarding. Yeah, no, that's so cool. It's awesome. And then what about a professional failure that you have that, you know, is embarrassing? We all have this, you know, how have you dealt with with whatever that is? I have quite a few. And this was <laughs> my favorite question because when I look back at this, it really helps shed light on the fact that I had ADHD and just didn't mm-hmm. know it. The one that is the biggest and the most embarrassing for me was I was a fundraiser. And as part of my job, I would travel at least once a month. And I had my, I had to use my personal credit card and then I would submit expense reports to get reimbursed. Mm-hmm. And I would go on these trips. I would lose receipts. I'd end up using receipts as bookmarks. I'd lose receipts in like every blazer pocket in the bottom of my work bag. I carried 
a planner that I'd never written or never used, but <laughs> I thought it made me look organized. Yeah. We've all got one of those. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I have them every year and can never stick to them. And I would get back and just, I was like, well, it's my money. It doesn't matter when it gets reimbursed. So like, I just would put it off, put it on the back burner. And for my reviews, every single, every single fundraising job I had, the biggest negative feedback was you cannot complete the simple task of submitting an expense report on time. Mm -hmm. And it was so frustrating and so humiliating for me because I would just get so overwhelmed by, okay, I have to find all the receipts. I have to organize them. I have to figure out like which day was what and who I met with. And because I took so long to do the expense reports, I'd have to scour through all my emails to figure out, mm. okay, I met, you know, Jane Doe at Starbucks on April 23rd and have that receipt ready to go. And it was just so overwhelming and exhausting that I never, to be honest, never got a hold on my expense reports. It was always this monster on my back, but I finally would just take all of my stuff home and do it like in the evenings or on weekends. Cause I felt like I was so frantic and flustered in my office and my office was of course very cluttered. And so that is something that is still to this day. I like, I hear the word expense report and I was like, Oh yeah. Uh... <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting that you should say that because I, I know that that is a very common experience with ADHD and you're right. It really does speak to that moment where you're like, maybe there's something, uh, maybe something different, but uh, you know, at the time it's hard to know. And it's, you know, and if somebody's telling you, it's hard to really get a grip on it. And you know, I appreciate you sharing that because one of the reasons that I asked that question is because we spend, you know, often you know, the whole hour or so talking about what we've done with ADHD and how we've achieved. And so it can be easy for people to listen to it and be like, oh, this person just doesn't have any of those struggles. And the answer generally is no, nope, they're there. <laughs> yeah. They're definitely there. It's just, it's just part of the journey and part of figuring it out. And I imagine now you probably have somebody else doing the expense reports or you have a system for it that you've developed with the ADHD. Yeah. Utilizing strategies that I've talked about with you, even just like having things on my calendar. So I don't have to go back through all, all the emails. <laughs> yeah. I had a supervisor at one of my recent fundraising positions who she actually asked me in, in one of our one-on-ones, what is wrong with you? Why can't you do this simple task? Like you should be oh, able to horrible. do administrative tasks. And because you are so terrible at administrative tasks, you are not going to get a promotion. And she also had said, you know, this is your money. I don't understand why you don't want to get reimbursed. And at the moment thinking, you don't understand, like, of course I want my money back, but I can't even figure out how to submit this like report properly. So I can't get my money back until I can get the steps in order to mm -hmm. like do the report. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I often say to clients because it comes up, this comes up so much and, and obviously we're working through it as part of that is just that with ADHD, often it feels like hard things are easy and easy things are hard. And so that concept of this easy executive functioning multi-step task versus this complex, deep work, hyper-focused task. And you're sitting there going, I know which one I'm going to do. Let's go be a professional gravel racer. <laughs> I do not want to fill in this document. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
I fail at administrative tests, so I can't do anything. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not true. It just means that, you know, there's certain areas which are much harder than others and yeah, more strategies that are needed. But at the end of the day, professional gravel racer turns out didn't need that. So that's kind of, it is interesting, but I really appreciate your honesty on that. That is one of the toughest questions in this list for sure. So what is, I was going to ask you, but I think we already have the answer. What is your favorite dopamine activity? Is it petting dogs? It's petting dogs. Yep. (laughs) Definitely. Yep. And if you had an ADHD life motto, it doesn't have to be perfect, but what would it be? It would definitely be embrace your enthusiasm. As a young kid, I was super enthusiastic about things. And then I remember being in elementary school and kind of getting, you know, shushed by the teacher and like, oh, control your excitement, like basically suppress your feelings or suppress Mm -hmm. your emotions. And so then I kind of came... I kind of became like a turtle in my shell and like, I just didn't want to mm-hmm. share and like I didn't talk. And I'm learning now that I love enthusiastic people. Like I love being around people who are happy and like smiling and like are mm-hmm. you know, just a joy to be around. And so I am learning that that's like, we can be in these really emotional states. And like when we're in the good, happy ones, like embrace that because it's amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. You get those highs. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. And being asked to suppress that can be very dampening <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on Chelsea. It's been amazing to talk to you and just really dive into the stuff all in more detail and find out your story sort of from beginning to end. I know there's going to be so many people who listen to this, who are fascinated by you, fascinated by your story and take a lot of comfort and a lot of helpful strategies as well in terms of the things you've talked about. So I really appreciate you coming on. And if other people want to follow you on your Grand Prix tour, follow you, follow your story, how can they find you? Thank you so much, Sky. And like, I know I I may have mentioned it before, but the personalized coaching that I did with you was the best thing that I've ever done. And I am totally eternally grateful for that because everything I learned with you, I use on a daily basis now, and it just helps me feel way less overwhelmed and I feel like more confident in my ability. So thank you again. And yes, if you want to follow me, I am Chels, Bolton B-O-L-T-O-N on Instagram. Yeah. Definitely go follow Chelsea. And yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. (laughs) I'm just like, how do I respond to that? But I really, I really, really do appreciate it. I love helping people and I love seeing people grow and develop and then go and do their thing, which is exactly what you're doing now. And before we go, I love that your last name is Bolton, by the way. It's just so connected to what you do now. It's pretty cool. You know, my my nickname in high school was Lightning Bolton. So yes. Yeah, and there you go. And there you go. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Chelsea. Wonderful to chat to you today. And yeah, if you guys want any more information about Chelsea or anything that we've talked about, you'll find her information in the description and more information on the show notes on the website. I'm sure there'll be lots of people following you and, and seeing all your different dogs that you pet on a daily basis. <laughs> thank you so much, Sky. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to reach out or connect with us, you can leave us a message at admin at unconventionalorganization.com. You can also find out more about our ADHD coaching organization, read our free articles, or sign up to our online courses at unconventionalorganization.com. 
That's organization with a Z or an S. They both will get you there. If you'd like to learn more about what we discussed here today, or you want to read the transcript, you can find that at our show notes page at unconventionalorganization.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast and think someone else might find the strategies and stories helpful, the best thing you can do is share episodes using the share button in the podcast player, or leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify or your podcast player of choice, letting them know why you've benefited from this podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you back in the ADHD lab next week.